You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. This is our sixth week, I believe it is, on Moses. We've called this Moses Made for More. Uh, if you've missed some of the others, you can always download them there on iTunes. We looked at Moses being prepared, being called, the power of God, the escape, the Passover. And last week was faith. And this week, we've got the Ten Commandments. So I don't know who you think of when you think of the Ten Commandments. I've often thought of uh, this guy. I don't know if ever you saw the film. There he was, you know, bringing them down from the mountain. It's funny because many things that we sort of read about in the Bible seem totally unconnected to society now. You think, well, what do people think about? Whereas the Ten Commandments is actually a very accepted thing. I was uh, doing the research for this week, and I went on the internet and typed in Ten Commandments. You have to be very careful what you do. There are Ten Commandments for everything. You can get Ten Commandments for health and safety at work now. Obviously, people think, oh, we know what the Ten Commandments are. How do we do it? You can get Ten Commandments for dieting. What are the ten top tips for dieting? You get Ten Commandments for sex. I will... um, I'm not encouraging you to go and look at that. You get Ten Commandments for food shopping. Can you believe it? I, I, I was reading the Ten Commandments for food shopping this week. You know, that thou shalt not, and then they go through this whole thing, stop at the door and check your receipt. I mean, who sits and writes them? Obviously, but the Ten Commandments has left a big impact. We're going to read the Ten Commandments, which is in the book of Exodus, Exodus 20 and verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your servant or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor any alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to to your neighbor. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us through your Ten Commandments. Lord, we so often, we can almost make our lists of other things. We try and adapt 
But actually, we want to hear from you this morning. We thank you as we've come and worshipped you. You've spoken to us already. I pray you'd speak to us through your word. That we'll, we'll be good listeners, but that we'll put it into practice. That it will change us. For your glory. Amen. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm very aware that when we're doing dedications, we've got visitors, people turning up, don't necessarily normally go to church. And, and I thought, oh, no, you know, I'm down to preach on the Ten Commandments. What are people going to think? They're going to turn up and suddenly it's like, oh, golly, that's what we think about church, isn't it? Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. I was then thinking, well, I'm just going to narrow it down to one. I think that probably seems more. Which one do I do? I, I did think maybe it should be do not covet. I was chatting to a friend uh, this week, and they were saying that they'd gone to like a, a baby exhibition last weekend, I believe it was, up in the Excel Center, and there was a whole Excel Center full of baby paraphernalia. You know, they got a real bargain. I can't remember what it was. The pram, let's say it was £1,000 down to £500 or something. I think, man alive, you, you could get into coveting somebody else's pram, couldn't you? Then I thought, oh, maybe if I'm just going to pick one commandment, which would it be? I mean, I'm sure this wouldn't be true of you, but you know, do not murder. I mean, if, if you're a parent and you've not slept for three nights, you know what I'm saying? You can just, you feel like you're trying to do stuff on automatic. I appreciate some of you parents are fighting to stay awake because you, you've probably not slept all night. Oh, Pete, preach on that one. Stir me on there. Or maybe, maybe the one I really should have picked for today was do not worship. Because we live in a society where actually we totally adore our kids. You know what I'm saying? And oh, I mean, the outfits that you can buy now and the toys. I mean, it's not for the kids. It's, it's for the parents, isn't it? You just think that is just incredible. Look, you can enjoy the box. I'm just going to play with what's inside. We can end up almost worshipping our kids. But what I wanted to speak on this morning is the family one. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. But actually, what is the family? Some of you would have seen this television series, Modern Family. Some of you may not. This is, they're trying to understand, pick out this series. Oh, what is the modern family? So the three people on the end, that's the father of the family, and this is his second wife, and that's his stepson. And people say, well, that's what the modern family like is. And then you've got the sort of classic five in the middle, and then you've got these two guys that are together that have adopted a daughter. And so suddenly you can say, well, actually, Pete, this is a bit more like the modern family now. What on earth has the Bible got to do with family today? And families are very, very different. Families are changing. I think even in my life, and if you come here, you know that I'm only 24 years old. But in that time, I've seen families change in a massive way. I think there's lots more pressure for both parents to work. I think that changes family life. I think because of education or opportunities, families tend to move. There have been many people that sat here, you think, well, I wasn't born in this country, but I came to the country. I know for myself, you know, you think, I want to go to university, I left my family home. And yet my wife's father still goes out for a drink every week with his two brothers. Because their generation still live in the same town. Whereas suddenly, this generation, my wife is here and her sister is in Australia. So families have changed. The whole feel of family life has changed. Lifestyle has changed. 
I was chatting to somebody this week, and they're considerably older than me. I was saying, I remember when there was only four channels on the TV. Four channels, this gentleman was saying to me. Pete, I remember when there was only one, and they didn't show anything midday. They just had, like, the screensaver mode. Apparently, there was a test card that was on there. Put your hand up. No, no one's going to put their hand up to that one, are they? Do you admit it? You know, apparently there's this girl that was just sat there all day and they literally just put TV on between like 6 and 10. But it's changed. And that changes on the family, doesn't it? If you've got catch-up or demand TV, it changes it. I say to my kids, oh, do you fancy watching The Musketeers? I say, I've already watched it. How come? Well, I watched it on my iPhone somewhere. Totally changes the way families operate together. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I don't want to go outside my scope, but I think even physically, whether it's because our kids eat better, I think often our kids seem to be developing older sooner, if that makes sense. And I think even financially, we advertise them and bond them with marketing so that, you know, in the past they might have just enjoyed childhood, and now it's suddenly, well, you, you can't really do this unless you've got a 500-pound gadget. I think that the impact on family has been massive. What was it like in the Bible times? Well, actually, I don't think they existed in little families of 2.4 children in those days. I don't think it was just a mum and dad and a couple of kids. In fact, we know that when Moses and the people were traveling, they would have had the whole extended family together. I remember uh, taking my son when he was 13. We went to visit uh, some of the slums in Mumbai. I was involved in a church at the time that was doing a workout there, was uh, organizing a clinic. And so we went across to visit. And I remember chatting to this, this lady and saying, because there was some housing that was being built, you know, and she, I said, had you ever thought of moving out of the slum? Would you fancy going to a house? And she said, oh, I've got a house. And I, I sort of said, then why are you living in the slum? She said, well, this is where all my kids live and my grandchildren live. So I rent my house out. And I thought, wow, what an understanding of extended family that I just don't get. It would have been a massive extended family in these times. If you read the Bible and you get these lists, the whole thing of whose father and whose father and who's the son of, there's a huge, I was going to say, ideology that we don't think much about. I'm Pete. I don't say, I'm Pete, son of Robin. You go, Robin who? Not Batman's sidekick. It just happens to be my dad's name. But in those days, family was really important, the breadth of it and actually the generations. So what do I want to say? I want to say this. I believe family is a gift from God. God has made us and shaped us to have relationships. Family was, and I believe is, his idea. It is a safe place to grow and learn about ourselves and how to relate to other people. It's a place of belonging, trust, and learning. And I think the Bible gives us, which I think is so wonderful, it gives us positive examples of family and negative. So if I went, I start on the positive, I think God wants to help us understand family life by the very fact that he expresses himself as a father. I mean, we had that wonderful song, didn't we, from Sam this morning, that I'm a father. And maybe you've never heard someone do that before. It's almost like God had given him this idea when he came and sort of sang it out. And it's almost like God singing over, I'm a father that loves you. This is not a new thing. In Psalm 68, verse 5, it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God. 
So God has always wanted to express himself. So we can think of God as, as oh, well, I, I know the commandments. I guess he's a judge, is he? Actually, the Bible says he's a father. Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, how did he say start? Creator of heaven and earth. He who must be obeyed. Now he said, our father. That's what Jesus taught them to pray. That's the relationship we can have with God. And in fact, and the Bible calls it the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We know when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, Paul writes to the church in Romans, Romans 8, and says, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, though you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit brought you about an adoption of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So there's this wonderful, some of us haven't had good dads. But actually the Bible says the perfect dad. Could you imagine the perfect dad? The perfect dad is God in heaven. And he wants you to know him as your father. And I think that's a huge benefit of God being with us for families. Okay, the Bible's very honest. It's funny, I, I never like telling all my negative stories, but the Bible doesn't seem to hide. The Bible also gives some example of where dads haven't really worked well. In fact, it's littered with them. I found it quite shocking this week. So if you think about King David, I mean, he was one of the best kings they've ever had. I mean, 40-something years, wasn't it? He reigned, and, you know, he was a real aggressor. I mean, he wrote loads of psalms. I don't think he was the best of dads. You know, just these kids arguing, and then obviously, you know, one of the kids tried to usurp the throne from him, and it's almost like he, he had trouble. I think you could even say that about Solomon. Solomon was his son who went on the throne, and Solomon, we know that he was wise, but actually it was Solomon's son after that that the kingdom split. But he passed on to his generation. But I guess the one I wanted to think about was, was Joseph. You probably, you might have seen the musical, Joseph and the Technicolor Drinker. I don't think it was Technicolored, but we think it may have just been a long sleeve shirt, but that doesn't quite sound so nice, does it? <laughs> I'm going to go and see Joseph and the long sleeve shirt being sung tonight. But actually, we, what we do know is that Joseph was one of 12 brothers. And what we do know is that his father had slept with four women to produce the 12. And so there was some complications there. What we do know is the fact that he was the favorite one. I don't know if you've been in a family where you get that. Golly, they're the favorite one. I mean, I think, how does that make them feel? I was at Alpha this week, and I was telling my story about how I became a Christian. When I was at school, I've got two, two brothers, one older, one younger. The teachers used to say to my parents, where did it all go so horribly wrong with the one in the middle? I mean, you couldn't say it now. I'm sure it wouldn't be PC. But they used to say to my parents, did you adopt the one in the middle? The other two kids are so good at school, aren't they? Well, some of you have grown up with that. So have you grown up and there's one that's been a favorite? Well, Joseph, that was true in his family. Joseph, you don't have to do any work. Go and do the washing up, you guys. Go and look after the animals. Joseph, you can have this special coat. Joseph, I love you the most. There was tensions in family life there. Joseph then grows up, I would say, starts off as an arrogant and unpleasant young man. His brothers resent him so much so that they sell him as a slave and lie to his father for years afterwards. Now I want to ask us a question. 
How are we doing? How are you doing? What's the Bible got to say to us today about learning, about being a parent? What, what could we take from this? I've got a few points I'm going to go through fairly quickly with you. I think this, we should always be learning. It's so easy to muddle along in life. Life can be so busy. You know, I do feel an old man this morning, really. I think I'd love another kid. But let's be honest, you know, I need to find another wife, really, I'm sure. She's serving on the kids so I can get away with it now. You know, you suddenly sort of think, golly, what would it be like? And I mean, when they talk about not having any sleep, I think, man alive, yeah, nappies, sleepless nights, we're done with that. But we've always got to be learning because the time goes so quickly. And people say that, but actually when you're not having sleepless nights, you think it doesn't feel like that. I look back and I think, oh, did I enjoy every moment? Did I learn along the way? You see, if we don't learn, we just pass on the mistakes that we had. King George V, the king of England, said this about parenting. My father was frightened of his father. I was frightened of my father. And I'm damn well going to see it that my children are frightened of me. So what had been modeled to him as this is the way to be a parent, he was then going to pass on. Now what I say to us is, do we let our past ruin our future? Or do we say, no, actually, I'm going to learn in this. I'm going to break it and be different. I'm going to observe other families, read books, ask questions, get help. I'd encourage you, if you're a parent, always be learning. What else would I say? Always learn to communicate. See, Joseph and his family, they don't seem to really know each other. Things are glossed over. Things are assumed. There's little evidence that they talk. There's hatred in the family until suddenly it explodes and they think, right, let's just sell the boy. Lots of families now struggle to communicate. I found this shocking, but believable. The average father spends 38 seconds a day talking face-to-face with their child. Now, we all know that there's different ways of talking to someone. You can try and talk back-to-back. Basically, means we're not getting on very well. You can almost try and talk shoulder-to-shoulder. We're sort of beside each other. But face-to-face... There's something of intimacy, of devotion, of delight, of intentionality. 38 seconds a day, the average dad. I think surely we've got to be challenged. If we're going to be great parents, how do we communicate? I can't remember where I read it, but I remember reading one time, if you talk to your child when they're 3, 4, and 5, they listen when they're 13, 14, and 15. And people can sort of say, oh, my teenagers, it's just not interested. And they say, but if you were talking to them when they were three, four, and five, maybe they'd be listening now. What else do we need to learn as parents? I think this. We need to learn to forgive. You choose your friends, but you live with your family. Let's be frank. In families, there's different personalities. There's the different temperaments. There's different characters. There's different agendas. But we must learn to forgive and to be forgiven. 
Harold Bloomfield, who wrote a book called Making Peace with Your Parents, said this, the psychological truth is holding onto our past resentments towards parents robs us of our current peace of mind and our ability to experience satisfaction in the here and now relationships. So for some of us, we've got to forgive our parents today. And you might think, man, alive, I just, I don't seem to get on with my neighbors. I don't know what it is about me. I keep jumping jobs because I don't seem to settle very well with anyone. And, and is it almost, hey, we've never forgiven our parents for something. And so therefore, it's working out in our relationships now. I believe, and this is true for all of us, and I'm hoping this morning's talk is relevant to all of us, that we should all give honor to our parents. That's what the Bible teaches us. What does give honor mean? It means accept them. Proverbs, which is a book in the Bible, which is, I say, lots of principles, really, rather than promises. Proverbs 23 says this, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when they're old. I'm not saying that parents are perfect. My kids' parents are perfect. But not every parent is perfect. But at the end of the day, how do we accept them? And honor them. It's so easy if we're really honest, isn't it? To spot where they're not the same as us. We always look for our own strengths in other people. And if they haven't got my strengths, we can end up criticizing them. And actually accepting them is saying, well, this is who they are. I appreciate what they have done for me. I think Mother's Day is a great opportunity, isn't it? I know you can say, oh, it's a bit commercialized or something, but isn't it a great opportunity just to stop and think, I just, I'd like to express appreciation to my mum. This is a two-week warning, you know what I'm saying? Don't leave it until you've got to pay first-class postage. Do it this week. Just write the date on the back. She'll understand. You know, just say, hey, mum, actually, what you did for me was incredible. When I've become a parent, it's really made me appreciate what they did. I'd never thought about my parents having sleepless nights over me. I should have thought more about that after hearing what they said about school. But I'd never thought about that. And then you're a parent. You think, oh, golly, that must be what they felt. How do we appreciate them? Mark Twain, never quite sure what he achieved, but we all like to quote him, said this. When I was 10, I thought my parents knew everything. When I became 20, I was convinced they knew nothing. Then at 30, I realized I was right when I was 10. And it's funny, isn't it? Because I think sometimes you still, we can go through this stage of thinking, oh, our parents are wonderful. And then we think, actually, they know absolutely nothing. They're just so out of date, you know, and they're just clueless on what I'm going through. And then sometimes we come to this point and we think, actually, I really appreciate my parents. It's great to affirm them, encourage them. I tell you, I think this will be a challenge for many of us. I think living in London, living in this day and age, Avoid abandoning them. Avoid abandoning them. I feel very challenged about this myself. I, I absolutely love the church. I look around you guys, I think what a privilege it is to serve the church. I've worked for a church now for 18 years, love it. But obviously it means every weekend I work. How do I avoid abandoning my parents? I, I phone my parents every week. It's funny, you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I probably find them more than the other two. So, you know, maybe the adopted one turned out all right in the end. <laughs> but I'll be honest, I'm not very good at sitting still. So I only ever phone them when I'm doing something. <laughs> and so I phone them and my dad goes, oh, where are you walking now? I said, oh, I'm on the bus. 
You know, he's like, I can't just say that, you know, but I think I do, I, I don't want to avoid them. I said, I'm phoning you. <laughs> it says in 1 Timothy 5, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents. I guess the last thing I want to say here is act now. This is the only command that has a promise. But it's also, if we're really honest, the only command that is time-related. Our parents don't live forever. I have done a few funerals. Common theme. I wish I'd told them how much I loved them when they were alive. Common theme. So it's almost like, oh, they, actually, they did do this, this, and this. I'm never quite sure I told them enough. Act now, J. John, I read his book on this uh, this week, very helpful. He said, to honor our parents means to obey them in our younger years, to support them in their older years, and to respect them through all the years. I think this is what we're trying to work at, isn't it? So what are some of the tips that I want to throw out for parenting today? The first one is this, work at your marriage. Never neglect each other. I say this to the two couples that have presented their kids today, but I say it to everyone. My hope is that your daughters leave you. They should do. I know that's an horrendous thought at the moment. You don't like leaving them in crash for half an hour. I understand that. There's a bond there. But the reality is they should grow up to become interdependent with you. But hopefully your, your wife or your husband should never. We must invest in marriage. A stable marriage is the best possible foundation for a solid family and the greatest gift we can give any child. What else would I say as a tip for parenting? Be consistent in your discipline. That is so challenging in this child-centered world. It's so challenging when we feel tired and at the edge of it. God loves us. He disciplines us. I do believe in discipline. It says in Hebrews 12, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So what would I say about discipline? It needs to be agreed between the parents. It needs to be consistent. It should be explained. Sorry should be expressed. Forgiveness and love affirmed. If that was too quick, you can listen to it again on the podcast. What else would I say as a tip for parenting? Praise your kids. Love them and let them know. I had the privilege of uh, living with a family, family with four kids um, for nine months before Nikki and I got married. And you know, one thing that stuck with me, a guy called Gordon, Gordon Brown, he had three boys and a girl, and he said to his kids every day, I love you. And as a lodger there, I thought, you know, I want to take that, and I want to give that to my kids. Now, have I said it every single day? Probably not, but I'm aiming and I've probably said it a lot more than I would have done otherwise. We need to say it publicly. We need to say it privately. We need to say it however old they are. What's the last tip as a parent? Let them go. We are not to control them forever. I realize that I give many more illustrations the older I get. For those that don't know, my kids are now 19, 17, and 15. My oldest has just gone to university. Um, a mixed emotional thing, but I don't want to cry in public, so I'm not going to talk a lot about it. What I do find quite interesting is the fact that uh, he's left my home, but I am still paying for him. I didn't under expect that to happen. 
But I'll tell you, as a parent, the biggest challenge is, do I comment on how he spends his money? Because I think that would be a form of control. And I've got to let him go. And I think how genuinely in this day and age, so I, I, was, in fact, I was doing a leader's day yesterday for another church, and I threw out this comment about in two years' time I could be an empty nester. Oh, golly, anyone need somewhere to live? You know, I, I'm looking for lodgers. And this woman came back to me and said, well, my kids are 25 and they're just moving back in. And I said, yeah, I can imagine that happening. I mean, Josh just said to me, I really want to come back to London, Dad. And I think, well, is he ever going to afford a place? And I thought, oh, well, I could charge him rent. Yeah, you could come back. <laughs> it's not a problem. You know what I'm saying? You've left home. But actually, I know the whole relationship's different because I can't control. But actually, I think that's got to be something as parents. We've got to let them go. Okay, so is this morning, is the whole thing about morality? Well, I just want to wind up really with this. You see, this is part of the Ten Commandments. The challenge I often find with the Ten Commandments, and I've tried to pick one and try to say, how could we apply it? How could we put that into practice? The challenge is with the Ten Commandments that we end up thinking there's a way, they are a way of earning our acceptance with God. And so often what's happened is people say, well, if I keep these Ten Commandments, then would I be acceptable to God? And the thing is, I don't really like the Ten Commandments because really it's telling me how to behave. Some people, if we're really honest, say, well, look, a little bit like Pete this morning, I think I'll try and keep two of them, but I can't keep them all. Well, I've kept them all, but I have killed somebody, you know what I'm saying? But that's okay, but I've done nine out of ten. Nine out of ten's pretty good, isn't it? I don't think I've ever got 90% in an exam. Yeah, if you did nine out of ten, is that Okay. Well, actually, I think no. I think the standard of the whole Ten Commandments is, is you've got to keep them all. But I don't think that makes you acceptable to God. Because what we've realized with this story is that they were slaves in Egypt and God rescued them. We then learned about they crossed the Red Sea, a picture of baptism. Their past was sort of buried. It was dealt with. It was finished. They then left. The old life has gone. We know that when they've crossed, that God's presence is with them. There's this pillar of fire and cloud. We know that God is with them. We know that God feeds them. We know that God gives them meat. We know there's water that comes out of this rock. And then the commandments come. So the commandments are not a way to make us acceptable to God. Our danger is sometimes that we always think, well, if, if I could keep the commandments, you would never keep the commandments. The commandments would make you realize, if anything, this standard is too high. This is perfection. I could not do it. I mean, if you looked at the, the first four commandments about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, I can't do that. We know that actually murder is not just about killing somebody. It's about thinking negative thoughts about somebody. I can't do that. If we took the commandments, we'd say the bar is way too high. Which is why it's great there was one who did keep them. Whose name is Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, we don't try and make our way to God. We come to Jesus who kept all these commandments. He kept every single one. When they, when they wanted to crucify him, it said they couldn't find that he'd done anything wrong. They even brought false witnesses in. How could we make something up about this guy? We can't, actually. He's, 
it's nothing he's done wrong. He never broke a command. He fulfilled our need of a saviour. We could not keep these. Paul even writes to the church, hey, if the law was enough, why didn't we stick with that? But it wasn't enough. Jesus Christ died in our place. So I hope that you've had some good tips this morning on parenting. But however good a parent you are, however good a child you want to be and honour your parents, that does not make you good enough for God. The only way we could ever be good enough for God is to come through Jesus Christ. How do I come through Jesus? Well, it's funny you should ask that question because I have a book here that explains. And on page 18, and there are some of these books on the table. If you think, hey, I've tried to keep the law and I realize I can't do it, then you could pray this prayer. Some people have done it here. It's what it means to become a Christian. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I wouldn't want you to go away with a command this morning. I'd like you to go away knowing that you're loved by God. If you've never prayed that, I'd encourage you to take a booklet. If you'd like to talk to me or somebody else about that, we would love to talk with you. The commands are not going to make us good enough for God. Jesus Christ will do that for us. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for two groups of people. And then I'm going to be handing back to Edward and Anna that I know will be leading us in breaking bread. I'm going to ask you to stand. It's not to embarrass you. It's just so I can see who I'm praying for. If you are a parent here today, I'd like you to stand up. And I'd like to pray for every parent. So if you've got children, doesn't matter however old they are, then I would like you to stand. Father, I pray for every person standing. Lord, whatever they're, the age of their children, I, I bet some of the people here have got kids that are 40. And some of them have got them that are four months. Father, we pray wisdom and grace. We come before you and say, God, you are all that we need. Help us as parents. Help us to know how to forgive. Help us to know how to love. Help us to know how to encourage. Help us to know how to let go. Help us to know how to discipline. Help us in our relationship with our kids. For those that are broken and distant, help us to know how to reach out and restore. For those of us that feel like I've repeated the mistakes of my generation that was given to me, help us to know how to mend and go forward. God, we're asking for every parent this morning. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. You could take a seat. I would like to pray now, listen carefully, for anyone that has got a parent alive. So if your parents are still alive, I'd like you to stand. I appreciate that's not everyone. I'm not trying to put people out and be awkward. Father, I pray for every person stood that you'd help us to honor our parents.
Oh, God. The challenge of living in a busy city is that we get so wrapped up in ourselves. Lord, we love the opportunities. We love the excitement. We love the possibilities of living here. And it's so easy to become selfish. God, I'm not going to excuse that on the past. But God, I want to say, I want to know what it means to honor. Honor and love them. Give time to them. Express my appreciation, my affection, my thanks. Oh, Father, help us to know this year how we honor our parents in a godly way. We don't just want to discard them. We don't just want to think, oh, that's it. You know, I phone them once a year or something. God, I pray for that. Again, for those that have got a broken relationship with parents, I pray for restoring. I pray for forgiving. I pray for renewing. I thank you even in the life of Joseph. In the end, the whole family came together. Father, help us to honor our parents. By your spirit, I pray. Amen. Please grab a seat.